In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 10. Continuing from the last chapter, Hosea is still painting a stark image of Israel, now as a selfish vine that bears fruit only for itself and not for God. They've built altars and worshiped false idols, but God is not pleased. Punishment looms as their land, their king, their idols will be destroyed. And Hosea urges repentance, and he wants them to seek God with all their heart for forgiveness and restoration. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide, and also happy St. Patrick's Day. Today is Friday, March 17th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. And you're in the right spot, too, because this is the show where we each weekday morning explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. And I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Explore their many offerings of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning. Within a week's time, he's already back for seconds to be our guide. Now, through Hosea chapter 10, we have with us the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Pastor Boisclair. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, and uh, may the road uh, the road rise up to meet you, and and uh, may the Lord or may may you be in heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're there. <laughs> to, to quote an Irish blessing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know, last week we were already talking, and we, this is a this is a rare repeat. Uh, last week, uh, Hosea was pointing out that the people were not sending all on their own, but were being led astray by their spiritual and political leaders. Today, you're back for more on this St. Paddy's Day as we continue to get some more of God's forewarning and judgment. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, this, is, so, this, so, uh, this book is such a gem. It's filled with uh, poetry like none other. Uh, it, it, it is really a, a jewel in, in God's Word, and it's just a joy to study it. You know, it's a joy to study it, but I think it also can be a little heavy on the heart because we learn that part of the issue is that Israel has become prosperous and powerful, uh, you know, basically wealthy. And because of that, they've become apathetic toward God. And so I cannot help but see some parallels between what Israel was going through at that time and, frankly, what we see going on today. In fact, uh, during the messages right before the show, they were talking about the new Lutheran witness about the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, those who just basically are apathetic toward God. They they don't have any religious affiliation. They don't really have any strong, um, um, you know, uh, affinity for God. And and that's really what's going on there. And and I just I see the parallels. I don't know if you do too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and that's that's what Hosea takes him to task for. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's really distressing. Uh, you know, as you see uh, our churches shrinking in membership, uh, and 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 there is no real concern to serve the true God anymore. And and uh, you know, it's it just surprising uh, how how things are changed. You wonder. Uh, you know, from one day to the next or one year to the next, how how are we going to share the gospel with them? Of course, that gospel is always precious and and uh, ready to give life wherever it is used. I mean, that's the good news at the end of the day is that, you know, God works when and where he pleases by the power of the gospel. I mean, we certainly have a role. He's given us a role to play in spreading that gospel message. 
But thanks be to God, it's not really our job to go out there and try to convince people, but really just just share the good news of Jesus. And the more we do that, the more that God will call into his kingdom. And that's, uh, I guess, that's sort of a, a comforting message. And that's what uh, that's what Hosea is having to do. Of course, you know, we remember back to chapter one, Hosea has gone through a lot to be able to get to where he's at. Uh, the prophets were never well received by the people to whom they'd come to proclaim judgment. And, and that's something we can also understand and expect. I mean, if they crucified our Lord, uh, really, we can't expect any better than that. You know, it's ra- rather interesting that uh, that in in chapter ten, there's a the Lord uh, as he's on his way to the cross quotes from I uh, from Hosea, as we will see. Excellent. You know, well, cover, we'll, we will uh, see. Fall into the mountains, cover us, and so on. Well, before we dig any more into it, though, why don't we start off our time together in prayer? And just like last week, I'd like to invite you to lead us in that prayer. And be honored. Let us pray, gracious Lord. You have done all things for us, given us life and health and salvation. And we are are very grieved at our sins. We thank and praise you that you continue to show mercy to us, that you do not treat us as a human being would, but as the true and loving eternal God, for your heart is turned against yourself, and, and you have sent your precious Son, who you treasure above all things, to be our Savior, to be mistreated and, and to be crucified, and to take our sins upon himself. How, how joyful we are that, that you have shown us mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it is for his spirit that we yearn this day as we open your word to study, um, you know, the, the things that you have done with your people of old, because they're, they're, everything that is written in the scriptures is written for our learning, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we might have hope, which is faith for the future of a life forever in Jesus, our dear Lord. So be with us now as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think there's nothing left to do but to do it, and we're going to read chapter 10, but I'm only going to read the first two verses. There's just sort of a break there. That way we can just get a little taste of what's going to happen and talk about it. So this is going to be chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 from the English Standard Version. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built and his country improved, or as his country improved, pardon me, he improved his altars. Their heart is false, now they must bear their guilt. Yahweh will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Well, I kind of butchered it, (laughs) but uh, the more his fruit increased, the more altars increased, the more his country improved, the more he improved his pillars. Uh, We're talking about false idol worship. Um, is this Israel attributing their success to these false idols? Is that why, you know, as, as one increases and, and prospers, the others get bigger and bigger? Well, because of the sinful nature uh, taking advantage. You know, it's interesting in, in, in our own walk with God, we must remember that the gospel is not for our sinful nature. So if, if at times uh, we prosper uh, 
financially or physically, uh, there's always a temptation from the devil to to uh, just uh, say, who is the Lord? You know, as, as the um, man of God says, you know, the pro- uh, in Proverbs, do not give me too little that I uh, go out and, and steal and, and profane the name of my God. You know, I'm breaking the seventh commandment, but don't give me too much that I say, who is the Lord? And, and so in this particular case, the more they were blessed, the more they turned, uh, you know, against the Lord, they, they, that they followed the, these other gods and under under peer pressure, we might say, the pressure of all of the nations around them. All the other nations worship these a multitude of gods. Um, and and so it's kind of like uh, children who are indulged and, and not disciplined. Well, I think, too, of, you know, we see Jesus when he is tempted in the desert by Satan. One of the things he tempts him with is, is you know, command of all of these kingdoms of the world. It's like, you know, you can be successful and prosperous. And in this day and age, of course, we see that a lot. There are plenty of so-called prosperity uh, evangelists for the prosperity gospel out there saying, hey, you know, God wants to bless you with all of these physical and 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 not spiritual, but, but monetary and all these you know, health and wealth. He wants to bless you in these ways. And the more faithful you are, and you're giving to that person usually, the more he'll bless you. This is a, this is a false gospel, and, and and Israel seems to be falling into that trap too. Not necessarily in their worship of Yahweh, but just that in the whole concept of faithfulness to the gods, as you said, which they're seeing in the surrounding nations, will lead them to prosperity and hopefully protection from their enemies. Yes, and and uh, in in, the, in this particular case, uh, you know, it, it shows that the, that the people um, there there actually that shows human selfishness, and um, you know, it, it in in a sense they they probably should and uh, anybody that has this type of attitude should read the Epistle of James. Don't they know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? And and uh, that's why we have the season of Lent to uh, you know afflict ourselves with with our sins and to recognize that um, we of ourselves uh, have nothing to offer God that that all that we are and all that we have is a gift of His grace and uh, you know it, it it just it really you know saddens me that there are. Um, brothers and sisters in Christ that fall for this uh, prosperity gospel as, as we hear it, you know, to the point where they say, if you're not prospering, then you are not uh, God's child. Um, and, and they don't understand the theology of the cross. You know, we think about this from the prosperity gospels. I also think about it from the uh, sort of Pentecostal religion where the true Christians are marked by those who have received some special spiritual gifts. So any, re- any, any religion or version of Christianity that's seeking to put Christians on different levels based on the things that they receive, whether material or spiritual gifts uh, from God, as if one indicates God's favor over the other, is certainly not only missing the point, but is very dangerous because our basal instincts, our, our need to be uh, protected in a world that that has so many uncertainties, you know, who doesn't want to have enough cash in the bank to not have to worry about the future or or enough food to eat so that they don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from? You know, blessings can also be very, uh, very relative. But still, you know, we see here that as Israel 
becomes more dependent upon, I guess, things of the world, the more they are falling away from God. And, and even Jesus, again, just thinking once again about his temptation in the desert. I don't know why that's on my mind, but it is. He's out in the desert and he's hungry, he wants food. And then when tempted to to conjure up food, so to speak, Jesus points to the, the word of God upon which we feast. And so if we are not feasting regularly upon the word of God, then we could have all the food in the world and it won't matter in the end. And I, I feel like that's the message that Hosea is giving out. He's saying Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. If you were first hearing this as someone in Israel, you'd go, yeah, we are. You'd take great pride in that. And then he kind of lets the shoe drop with, yeah, but the more his fruit increased, the more false altars he built. I mean, it says altars, but the idea here is these are altars to false gods. Oh, absolutely. The words there, you know, like the pillars of the Asherah and, and the altars to Baal. And and um, what, what, what's rather interesting is that, uh, again, they, they – St. Paul had an antidote to all of this. Uh, St. Paul says uh, we boast not in ourselves or in our prosperity, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which we've been crucified to the world and the world to us. You know, the the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, likes to, uh, uh, you know, fight fire with fire. And so in in this particular case, what do you boast in? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and in that that particular case, the Lord, of course, uh, basically by the word teaches us as well that we that our life and and our continuance in life always depends upon the word, uh, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And and even if we were the most wealthiest person in the world, uh, as as we see uh, many many wealthy that uh, have uh, died recently, not all of their billions of dollars are able to save their lives. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, it doesn't depend on these physical creature comforts as we have. Yeah, he says their heart is false, and now they must bear their, their guilt. Pardon me. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. You know, using the example you just gave of all these super wealthy people who are out there, and maybe they even dedicate a lot of their wealth to humanitarian uh, causes. Or, or, or maybe they think that because of their activism that they are just these wonderfully, uh, uh, just wonderful, uh, uh, righteous people, self-righteous, righteous in the eyes of the world. And then, of course, all of those things get taken away from everybody, including them, when the end of their life comes, right? When the Lord comes and calls their life, there's nothing that all their riches can do. And this is what is coming upon Israel. And frankly, it's what's coming upon all of us. And the whole idea of their heart being false should cause us to examine our own hearts. I mean, even if we're not, you know, wealthy celebrities uh, who are banking on our our witch riches to keep us uh, out of the grave somehow, um, we still might sometimes fall into the habit of thinking, well, you know, I go to church, I'm a pretty good person, I don't murder people. And then when cancer strikes or when you lose your job, or when something bad happens, all of a sudden you're like, but wait a minute, I did all the right things. Well, that's that's not why we do those things, so to speak. 
Oh, yeah. And, and uh, Luther, of course, talked about the light of nature, the light of grace, and the light of glory. Uh, that, uh, you know, in the light of nature, it doesn't make sense that we, uh, we don't prosper even though we are faithful to God. And that, of course, we're taught that um, uh, in, through the light of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, that ultimately uh, this life is not all there is, but that we have the life to come. And, in, and then, of course, the light of glory will reveal a lot of things to us, why some and not others. So, you know, there's, there's like levels that God brings us through in, in this particular, uh, our relationship with him. And uh, as as the the thing is, is that we are to despair of ourselves and we are to trust totally in God by his grace. Well, let's read how they react, because we're going to uh, see in verses three, four, five and six, a little bit of a description of kind of how the people are responding, starting with verse three. For now, they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord or Yahweh. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Bethaven. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. So when it says in verse 3, For now they will say, We have no king, for we do not fear Yahweh. And a king, what could he do for us? What's the reference there, Pastor? I mean, when is that being said? This is this is just before the end of the Northern Kingdom, um, and and there were as the uh, uh, Lutheran Study Bible says that within twenty years there were uh, six kings within that period, and 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 the change of many dynasties. So uh, there was probably a lot of times in which they they had no king, um, and 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 then of course the thing is is that ultimately the big uh, shadow of Assyria looms over them, and, and of course that uh, great empire will, of course, uh, snatch them up, or will gobble them up, and, and, and that's, that's, in a sense, it's, at, at times like that, uh, it, they, they, with the help of God, they should, should have, by the grace of God, have reacted like Hezekiah would in, in uh, you know, when, when Assyria threatened Jerusalem. But uh, again, they, they're, they're apathetic. They're nuns, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when the, when the time comes, they don't fear God. They don't fear Yahweh. They have no king. It's almost as if, you know, they, they're saying, you know, well, it just feels like we don't have any leadership. Uh, and then, well, they utter mere words. They make empty oaths. You know, with empty oaths, they make covenants. So they're, they're, it's like I get the vision, and maybe I'm misreading it, but I get the vision that they're just running back to the Lord but they're doing it in a way to, it's like at the last minute, you know, the, the truck is there to pick up your car. You've missed all the payments running and making a payment. Now is not going to help. Judgment day has come. So this is what's happening. But they're still, they're running out there and they're trying to uh, just make up for lost time. Uh, that's what I see with the mere words and the empty oaths. Uh, maybe that has to do more with idolatry. I don't know, but I don't know why I just get this vision as I, as I read other different commentaries and as I read even Luther, 
that this is about them trying to return to the Lord when it's too late. Do you see it that way or do you see it in a different way? Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of like the thing is, is if all else fails, then pray. Or, or we hope that something will happen, you know, with a misunderstanding of the word hope. Uh, you know, that it's sort of like your last-ditch effort. Uh, you know, when, you're, when, you've, when you've exhausted all of your options, as you might say, at least as far as the world is, thinks uh, there is opportunity and so on, then you sort of uh, latch on to God as a last resort. And and in in a sense, it 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 it, it comes too late, as as you said. I mean, you know the, the, the you know it's interesting in in uh, even in Judah, uh, they uh, right toward the end they had the great King Josiah who who really was was uh, with God and 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 observant of God and tore down all of the high places and and burned the bones of the idolatrous priests on their altars and so on. Uh, you know, a man after God's own heart. But, uh, you know, it, as God said, you know, there's still the judgment. It's, it's, it's still too late. And, and, uh, and ultimately, uh, there is no recognition of the fact that even this judgment is, is, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So the, actually God is, is, is being good to them by, by, uh, you know, threatening this judgment or I mean, pointing out that the time that, that uh, the time is uh, expired. Yeah, people might look at this, this whole chapter, in fact, and just say, well, this is just evidence of how God is this angry God who, who really doesn't love his people because look at all the things that he say will happen if they turn away from him. And it's like, well, that's one way to look at it. But another maybe more faithful way is that God is merciful by telling them the truth that by turning away from me, these evil, wicked things will happen. And it's not even that he's doing them to them. It's the Assyrians that are going to come and do a lot of these things to them. Um, but but it's the, it is the rewards of their unfaithfulness, which has been the theme of this whole chapter. In fact, on Monday, when we talk about Hosea 11, there's some pretty graphic descriptions of what will happen to women and pregnant women and children. And it's a, a very difficult verse to read, in fact. But it also is a reminder of the reality that when we sin against God, when we're unfaithful to God, this isn't just like, oh, well, we'll get a slap on the wrist. God loves us. It's no big deal. He doesn't mind. He's he's pretty cool with us. No, it, it really is treacherous to our, our souls. And this is why he describes it, I think, as judgment springing up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. I mean, you know, if any any farmer knows that it's so difficult to deal with weeds in general, but then poisonous ones too, it's especially if you're not, you know, using modern day machinery. Um, this is something that is going to threaten your very livelihood. Oh yes, and and, and what's so tragic in all of this, and anyone within the the sound of our voices, uh, to remember that if if they do not have the Lord. Uh, you know they are they are the ones of most of all men most to be pitied, uh, because this life will be all that there is for them, and uh, un, and unfortunately, uh, you know for them the time that the time of grace will come to an end. Uh, you know uh, the Lord is constantly the Lord Jesus in His ministry constantly warns the people about uh, not being rich toward God, which is of course by His grace through His Spirit to trust 
in him alone for salvation, because there is an eternity to be considered. Well, that's it. People, you know, people say, oh, uh, you only live once, right? YOLO. I don't know if that's even popular anymore, but it certainly was when millennials were young. Uh, YOLO, you only live once. And that's not true. <laughs> you know, you, you live through this life once, uh, but then you live for eternity. And that's the thing people must remember is you were right in saying that they really only have this life. But maybe even more accurate would be to say you only have this life in which to try to have your so-called best life ever because everyone lives for eternity. And that eternal life is either going to be in the presence of God's love or in the presence of God's wrath, which is hell. And so even when your annoying Christian neighbor is always inviting you to church or, or your annoying Christian um, uh, uncle is always talking about Jesus, it's not because they think they're better than you. It's because they genuinely want you to be in that eternal glory with them. Because the, the, the inverse, the, the opposite, what will happen if not is you end up being like the inhabitants of Samaria. In verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Bethaven. Its people mourn for it. So does its idolatrous priests. The same ones who rejoiced over it and over its glory, they're all mourning, they're weeping, they're crying because their idols did nothing for them. It's gone. It departed from them. And so God, as he promised, will destroy the idols and altars and he will destroy the pillars. And when they're gone, the people who put their faith, hope, and trust in these false things will be mourning over them. Um, but God lasts forever, and God cannot be destroyed. Yes, and, and, and as, as the Lord Jesus, at the end of his uh, Sermon on the Mount, said, the wise one, of course, by the grace of God, is one that uh, builds his house on the foundation of the rock. And, uh, as, and as the hymn writer says, all other ground is sinking sand, because the foolish person builds their house upon the sand and the floods came and the waters rose and uh, and everything but uh you know that house fell and the great was the fall of it so so it, it what we are what we are um offering through the word of god is the solid foundation of of the true and eternal god and of our lord jesus christ which is our foundation right what a foundation to have i mean when they point out the inhabitants of samaria now, when they talk about the Cath of Beth Avon in Samaria, that's a specific place up in the northern kingdom, uh, kind of known for its idolatry, right? Oh, oh yes, that's the, that's the southernmost uh, uh, shrine that uh, Jeroboam the uh, first set up at you know after. Uh, uh, you know, the ten tribes uh, rebelled against uh, the, the house of David and, and went north. Uh, the, and Dan up in the north was another, the other place where, where a uh, golden calf was set up. Now, they were saying that this is God. You know, I mean, they, this is Yahweh. So, so in other words, they weren't necessarily making a rival God, but they were saying they were making a, a carved image as, as if it were the true God. And, and so that was, that was the, um, so he, so Hosea is reminding them of how they first fell into sin through their King Jeroboam the first. One of the things that I learned when we were discussing the book of Exodus on this program is when the people made the golden idol, or Aaron did, while Moses was up on the mountain, 
um, there's uh, some scholarship to understand that the idol itself, the calf, was but a throne or resting place for the actual idol that would, you know, sit upon it. So the idol was invisible and the visual, visible idol that you would hold in your hand wasn't really the idol, but his throne. And so that's why they were able to say, you know, this is Yahweh who led you out of the land of Egypt because Yahweh, they were saying, was like these false idols who was on this throne. And and so the sin there, of course, was worshiping in God, worshiping, trying to worship the true God in ways that he does not want to be worshiped and pointing to him in physical things rather than where he's decided to be. So with that in mind, it makes sense just supporting what you're saying. You know, the keth, the calves that they made, they can say, well, these are the thrones of God all day long. They can even be, you know, pointing toward the one true God, but worship, worshiping them in a way that God has not authorized, has not asked for, and frankly, which is corrupted by the the false worship of the nation surrounding them, is is, is sacrilege. And, and you know, it's interesting and, and true, even in, in Christianity today, uh, that uh, when when you depart from the Word of God. And and you you rely on your own um, inner understanding or or your your inner feeling of the spirit or you know what we know call enthusiasm theological enthusiasm that that in in, in the same way you're you're setting up an idol that that's similar to that uh, you know the people nowadays saying well what's your gut feeling or or what's um, uh, you know, we, we don't think that uh, harping on uh, these old-fashioned biblical uh, law and gospel is, is something that's important for us. So, you know, it's so applicable to our time today, even, even in, among Christians, that they should uh, pay attention to the external word of, of God's word, law and gospel, and, and not uh, try to invent a religion of their own. It's true. God has given us the, the means by which he wants to give us his grace and the word and sacrament. He gives us the ways in which he wants us to worship him. And the false idols of these people were carried off to Assyria, it says, to the great king as a tribute. So he's going to melt it down. He doesn't care about it. Um, will our will we, will our, our idols be carried off? We don't know. It's, it's something to think about. But for right now, we have to take a break. So folks, don't go anywhere when we come back. Pastor Boisclair and I will keep on going with Hosea chapter 10. We will see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316.
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Folks, thank you for joining us as we study Hosea. Don't forget that I encourage you to email me at pastorboo at gmail.com with any of your feedback. You can also find me on Facebook to ask questions or just say hello. And also be sure to tell your friends and your family to listen to Thy Strong Word. They can hear it on the radio in St. Louis, live or on demand at KFUO.org, through the KFUO app as a podcast. I mean, there are so many ways for them to, to get involved, for you to stay up to date or even catch up on episodes you've missed. I just want to let you know that I'm encouraged that you tune in and you grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday. So thank you for listening. Now, Pastor Boys Claire, before the break, you know, we were getting into this reality that you know, we too can find our culture and sometimes ourselves, even in the the uh, portents of disaster that is is being pro- proclaimed forth from Hosea so many, so many uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, but this isn't to say that this is specifically for us, just that as with many things in the scripture, you know, there's a lot of things that are universal. Right, So sin is universal among mankind. The need to be faithful to God is universal among mankind. And so one of the reasons why we have Hosea in our scriptures is for us to learn from their mistakes because, well, we know the end of this story. Assyria is coming. <laughs> the judgment will happen. The thing in verse 6 itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. We know that that happens, and we know that Ephraim was put to shame Israel was ashamed of his idol. Those things came to pass, but they don't have to for us, right? And that's I think that's what we're here for, to call the world, and not only ourselves, but also the world, to repentance so that we can you know, avoid disaster. Oh, absolutely. And like I say, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And, and so it's it, it, any, you know, it, it actually, even as, as the as the wise man in Proverbs says, you know, if a a wise man, uh, well, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it here. If they if you rebuke a fool, they will hate you. But if you rebuke a wise man, they will love you. And so and so, any time that we are confronted with, um, you know, literature of law, as as we see here, this is this is pure law. Uh, that that is something to. Um, basically help us and and to you know so that we might have hope as as saint paul says in uh, romans 15 uh, you know that by patience and comfort of the holy of his holy word we might have hope that there that that never is god's uh, word spoken in the world in vain uh, but that that his word will bear fruit and and so it's it's always it's always a comfort to us that the law, of course, uh, should shatter our trust in ourselves and 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 cause us to recognize how wretched we are in the face of God, and that we we just as as beggars turn to Him for help. Amen to that. I think we should add a couple more verses, including the one that you mentioned uh, at the top of the show. This is going to be verses seven and eight. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Um, Before we get to that very famous 
passage. Let's start at the top. So we, we're, it's a continuation, really. Samaria's king, the false, the false kings are going to perish uh, like a twig on the face of the waters, which I think is just, again, this wonderful poetic imagery, but also very striking. You think of these tiny little twigs that fall into either the ocean or to a raging river, and they just, they're nothing. It, it has no, no hope of resisting the, uh, the judgment that's coming. And all of these false places of worship will be destroyed. And then we get this image of thorn and thistle growing up over them. Um, not too while, uh, not too long ago. Actually, maybe it has been a long time. Actually, years at this point. Anyway, the Discovery Channel, I believe, did this did this uh, series called like uh, the World Without Man or something like that. I should have looked it up. But basically, they they using computer graphics, they showed how fast it would take for nature to take over the world or retake over the world if there were no human beings on the planet. Fascinating uh, series. I'm sure it was a chalk with propaganda about, <laughs> about global warming or something. Who knows? But the visuals itself were just fascinating, and we even see this today, a house or a place that's left uninhabited uh, for a long period of time. Um, it really doesn't take as long as you might think for nature to reclaim it. And so that's the image I get here is just sort of a, a smash cut to these altars and they're just completely grown over and, and and completely out of use because the people who used to worship there so proudly, the false gods, are removed. And so the inanimate things that they used to worship are just taken over by God's creation. Yes, and, and what's rather interesting is that, uh, you know, as, as the Lord says, the, that the world and, and the lusts thereof will, will perish. It won't, you know, I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, uh, the longer we live, uh, when we look back in time to, you know, maybe uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, I can remember back 60 years ago. I mean, uh, you know, in, in a sense, you can see how, you know, how people thought then, uh, you know, what was important or, or what was a threat or what was the real problem with the world is something that uh, is no longer the case in our, our present day and age. I, it's somewhat comforting uh, to, to see that there's uh, that there is a power that is above uh, man or, or man's ability. You know, I think man is overemphasized in our, our world today. On the other hand, uh, we can understand why God, at, in the beginning of creation, placed man as the uh, one who would uh, be his instrument in, in combating chaos and, and, uh, and, and, and the disintegration of, of uh, you know, basically a place to live. But I mean, the, the thing is, is that ultimately God is, is uh, I, 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 again, I, I hesitate to use the word because I don't want to fall into uh, uh, Calvinistic uh, understanding about the God is sovereign. Uh, so, you, you know, we, we well, okay, we had the king of Samaria, well, then we have the king of Assyria, who, uh, in, in the ca case of um, uh, Sennacherib, uh, you know, God said he's like a beast. All I have to do is stick a, 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 a some some chains on him and put a hook in his nose and lead him away. So is also is Putin and Xi Jinping and and whoever any one proud potentate in this world who thinks who thinks that they are in control of everything. Ultimately, God is is the sovereign Lord of all. Well, that is important to remember. I mean, we it wasn't too long ago within our own nation where people are at odds with one another based on which 
human being they thought would save us from all the perils and troubles of our country. And that that play <laughs> replays itself every four years uh, and sometimes for every couple of years, four years. Uh, you know, we, we see this over and over again where people put their faith, hope and trust in princes and not in God. So we don't have to look overseas, as I know that you were also insinuating, you know, we can look in our own in our own backyard and say, you know, while certainly electing and nominating the right people to lead us is important and keeping those people faithful is important, at the end of the day, our faith, hope, and trust should be in God alone. And we talk about the mankind on the planet. Yeah, I mean, it, this, this world was created for us. We are the crown of God's creation. We are to take care of it. That was our uh, original um, mission, so to speak. But at the same time, God is is sovereign over everything, including ourselves. And so, you know, we have here this idea of the high places and the thorn and thistles are growing up on the altars. We could take that same and say, imagine the thorns and thistles just growing up through the White House windows over the Oval Office desk. We can see the thorns and the thistles growing up over King Charles III's throne in England. We can see the thorns and the thistles growing up over anything that we find important in our lives, just taking them over because there will be a time when we're not here. And when that time comes, will we be in bondage as the Israelites were in Assyria, or will we be in the promised land with God? And that's something for us to always keep on our mind, even as we, of course, live our lives according to God's will and and, and respect our, our people in authority, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a careful balance for the Christian. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, it, it's that, you know, it, uh, there's a lot of fear uh, in our nation now about nuclear war. And I think that's a very real fear. I don't think that uh, humankind has the power to destroy the world through nuclear war, but they certainly can send humankind back into the Stone Age or even, uh, even further. But ultimately, you know, it, 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 everything is in the hands of our gracious God. And, uh, you know, it just, it's just appalling to see the godlessness that, and the chaos around us. Exactly. And then it says, though, they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. And with this, you were pointing forward to uh, something that, that we hear in the New Testament. Tell us more about that. Jesus is being led to the cross. And uh, he says, in, uh, this is in uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 28 through 31. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Is Jesus telling us that this, what is being prophesied here in Hosea has not been fully fulfilled? That, that, that it's coming again, I guess? There's, a, there's an ultimate fulfillment on Judgment Day? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the whole point. You know, like he says in talking about people that were talking about uh, the, the, the people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and, and on those who pilot 
uh, they bl- their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. He, he basically says to all people in a general way, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he's speaking about for eternity. Something for us to certainly keep in mind. Uh, moving on, just adding some more verses to the conversation, verses 9 and 10. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. All right, brother. Oh, who? What is he talking about? Who's Gibeah now? I mean, he, and why haven't why haven't they been been punished? Uh, why is this coming in? Yeah, uh, it's that rather interesting. We Gibeah came up in uh, the previous chapter that we looked at, and and I hadn't uh, necessarily looked into that, but it's rather interesting in the uh, cross-reference here that they reference Judges 19, verses 20 through through 30, where there is a Levite that comes to Gibeah with a concubine that he has, and uh, the uh, people of the town uh, do like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah when they see the the angels of God uh, meeting Lot, uh, that they want to have um, uh, homosexual relations with them. And uh, then you have uh, the, you know, the, the man, the host of, of this uh, Levite basically coming out and saying, you know, uh, do not do so evilly. Uh, you, you can uh, you can have my daughter. Uh, of course, the, what ends up is the Levite sends out his concubine, unfortunately. I mean, this is this is horrendous. It's a it's a horrible story. But I mean, that's that's basically the idea of the sin of Gibeah. Uh, where there is this that happens, that, that people have such uh, lawlessness and, and, and lust and evil. Uh, and, and then uh, the Levite, of course, takes uh, his, his deceased concubine home and divides her up and uh, cuts her uh, body up into 12 pieces to uh, rally the children of Israel to, um, you know, basically turn on the Benjaminites who have done this. Yeah, horrible, a horrible imagery indeed. In fact, just as a little bit of a sneak peek, we are covering judges on this program following Hosea. And I took a sneak peek at the schedule because I was thinking, oh, please let Pastor Boys Claire be on for Judges 19. And <laughs> you are not, brother. You missed it. You are going to be on for Judges 18 on April oh, wow. 21st. So you barely— you barely missed it. But but this is not the only vivid description of real-life events in the Scriptures. You know, we can't fault the Scriptures for telling us the real-life horrible things that happen because real-life horrible things happen today, too. But it seems that God's saying, listen, I'm going to punish them. Um, he's, he is a God of justice, um, but the punishment and the judgment, as you've mentioned several times before and is never worth uh, misremembering, is uh, that— God is a God of love. This is letting you know that these are the consequences of not living as he has designed us to live. And and that's the big human lie, or it's the big lie from Satan even, that the reason why God gives us all of these rules and regulations is because he wants to control us. And well, first of all, according to the sovereignty of God, of course, he can control us. But no, it's out of his love that he wants us to live in ways that will be to our benefit. And so we have iniquities and problems and judgments 
when we do not follow in his ways. Adding to the conversation, verses 11 and 12. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek Yahweh, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So we have some imagery here. It's a it's a little little difficult to understand. Um, you know, we get this idea that like Ephraim's a calf who maybe likes to play around in the grain, um, and he spares her. But now she's going to be put to hard labor. That's that's the image I get anyway at the beginning. Uh, what what sense do you make of this? Uh, what what's rather interesting is that only for those who are reborn in Christ do they have a choice between good and evil. I mean, to do uh, what is righteous in the sight of God. Uh, that by nature, all we can do is is evil. Uh, all we can uh, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and and our God is a God of freedom. Uh, that our God gives us his spirit through his word and sacraments so that we can be free. Uh, you know, even as St. James says, that the perfect law of liberty, that in a sense, we, by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, we live in the law. And, and as the Lord encourages us to uh, pursue righteousness, you know, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, you, you kind of have a God who, who just delights in his children, uh, like he thinks of, of his child as a, as a uh, gambling uh, heifer calf out in the field. And, and uh, you know, it's just saying, well, well uh, you're going to have to... Uh, <laughs> have rough times here. It, 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 it just, these are the words of a loving, cherishing, heavenly father who, who wants to bring his, his own back to him. And thank, thank God that he does, because on our own, we cannot return to him. Um, we're going to read the rest of the chapter now, 13, 14, and 15. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Um, good news, folks. The very next, next chapter begins uh, with the Lord's love for Israel. So be sure to join us on Monday for the rest of the story. But anyway, back into this. Um, right, they're, they're reaping what they sow, not in a karma kind of way, but in a, a consequences of their behaviors kind of way, right? Oh, but I mean, you know, like as you mentioned, it's not karma because karma seems to be impersonal. And, and uh, uh, I mean, we have a personal, real creator and, and sovereign Lord that, that is, is, is in charge of the universe. And, and it, it, of course, is a joy to us as his people that God says that, you know, the, the whole reason that the universe is continuing on is for the sake of his church, uh, his people. 
And, and, and so, you know, even though they're going to be afflicted in this way, yet God's intention is for their salvation. And it's all, all for them. And, and it's interesting, they mention the, the, um, the specific uh, king of Assyria in verse 14, or at least uh, someone with the same name, Shalman. It's Shalmaneser, which will be the, uh, the king of Assyria that will destroy uh, Samaria and, and the northern kingdom in 722. Two to 721 uh, BC. So he's using that as an example that bad things happened, some horrible things happened. We're going to get into that kind of imagery, I think, on chapter 13 with the mothers dashed into pieces with their children. Um, that's, a, that's a tough chapter, folks, but we are going to cover it best we can. But anyway, so thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. So God is not the creator or the originator of evil. I mean, frankly, we are. And God is merciful in that, yes, evil – he allows evil to happen in the world. We don't let God off the hook for that. But in many ways, this is also a sign of his mercy that he gives us time to repent and return. And so many people who are against the Lord, who don't believe in him yet walk around so angry at him all the time um, – They'll say things like, oh, see, you know, God, the fact that God allows evil means that he is he is uh, uh, not loving or not powerful. You know, that famous that famous um, problem of evil issue. But we can simply say from what God has revealed to us is that he has sent us the solution to these problems. In these last days, he has sent us Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins. And just as then he today calls us to return. And so God isn't perpetrating evil, but yes, he does allow it because it's necessary to allow it if he's also going to allow us time to repent. It, 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 it's interesting that when you read these verses, uh, you, you, can, you, you feel uh, the presence of the same type of uh, unfaithfulness and chaos that is in our, our world today. And it, it seems to be ever more uh, more deranged than it than it had been. I mean, what happened to all of this altruism that people had? I mean, they were so so concerned that uh, you know people were uh, in danger. You know, if you don't put the proper uh, 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 safeguards in, you know, in in, sto- in in buildings or whatever, or that people are poisoned. You know, and now now of course the lawyers are, are like a, a bunch of sharks uh, and a feeding frenzy are around this Camp Lejeune uh, thing. Uh, you know, what, what, right. what's, the, what's the other thing? But there's no altruism anymore. There, there's just such, uh, su- you know, there's factions and there's, there's uh, hatred for other people. Uh, uh, you know, just, just, a, a, just, a, just a darkness that, that continues to grow around us. So it's come, you know, basically these words are so, so relevant to us today. They really are, and they all point us back to our one true Lord who loves us so much that he wants to save us from our sins. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's been a joy, and may God bless you and and your ministry and and all that hear his word. Thank you, brother, and uh, we'll see you again for Judges 18. (laughs) Well, folks, this ends— I was just going to say, uh, we will see you again. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm glad you missed 19, though, brother. Oh, yes. (laughs) And may God bless all uh, as, as they go through Lent and then to the resurrection. 
Thanks. Folks, this ends the week for us here at Thy Strong Word, but I invite you back on Monday as we move right along into the 11th chapter. And as I said a minute ago, if you're getting weary of the indictments and judgments and impending doom, this is the episode to tune into. It's a powerful and emotional depiction of God's love for Israel despite their constant rebellion and disobedience. So we're going to hear that. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.